Good morning. Uh, welcome to all our visitors here today, as well as the people here in the sanctuary and our listening audience on the radio. <clears throat> I have a few announcements this morning before we start our worship. The rose on the altar this morning is in honor of Don and Carolyn Henson's 54th wedding anniversary, which they will celebrate on Thursday, January 3rd. They're sitting over here. I'll try to sign. Uh, just a reminder, Sunday school resumes today. Next Sunday, the congregational meeting to accept the nominations for officers of the consistory congregation will be held immediately following the 9 a.m. service. Confirmation and high school Bible study resumes next Sunday also, January 6th. Now, if you would, all those that could stand, please join me in the call to worship. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is great God, the great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountains peak below him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. He is our God, and we are the people of his pastures, the flock of his care. And now we'll remain standing and sing hymn number 125, Joy to the World.
now we'll uh, invite all the children to come forward for uh, children's chat with Mrs. Lammers. And while they're doing that, we can all take time to say hi to our neighbors. Good morning. Oh, is that how you sounded on Christmas morning? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Awesome. We're going to talk about the Ten Commandments. Have you heard about them before? The Ten Commandments. How many are there? Ten. Ten? Oh, you're so smart. I am two. You're two, yeah. Well, you know, God gave us rules so we are safe and that we are happy. And you know how many gods we have? One. Only one. He made us. He loves us, and he's the only person, God, that is powerful enough to help us. So we're going to pretend that this magnet is God. Okay? Now, commandment one says you should have no other gods besides the one God we know. And God wants us to come to him. He's got his arms open wide. He wants to protect us and pretend this metal tray is us and this is God. And what happens? He pulls us right to him. You want to see how strong that is? Put that on the tray. Put that magnet on the tray. Put it. What happens? Oh, there it goes. Sure. Look at that. He is so powerful, he hangs right to us, doesn't he? Awesome. Now I want to show you something else. How many of you have toys at home that you say, I just love that toy? Oh, yeah? And what do you say about God? I love my one and only true God. Well, you know what happens? You know what we people do because we don't seem to know any better? We have other things that we say we love that gets between us and God. These are paper clips. Uh, I love, I mean, I like my Kindle. What else is there? Look at that long one. That person has a lot of things that may maybe love more than God. There's a lot of paper clips on that. How about, do I dare say sports? Oh, sports. Money? Huh? Look at all these things. Oh, there's some more. Toys? Toys? You know what? Grown-ups have the same problem. Cars? Oh, those are big paper clips. I have, I have a... And all kinds... Look at all the things that we can have between us and God. Now, what does that... What happens now? Huh? What happens now when God wants us to come to him? Watch. Watch. The magnet, God's coming to us, and what happens? They all come away. They all... All that stuff. Between God and us, and he can't pick the tray up anymore, can he? You see that? 
He can't pick the tree up anymore. Because we put all this stuff between God and us. Because we may like these things a lot, but we love God. See? When there's nothing between us and God, look what happens. Sticks right on there, doesn't it? Now. Them up. Yes, and they get between us and God. Look at that. <gasps> yes. So let's think about that. We're going to talk about the Ten Commandments for a lot of weeks. And I have a paper over there that has all the Ten Commandments on it written just so you guys can understand. So number one is love God first. Do not put any other God's in front of our one and only true God. Okay, you can each have one of those papers over there. Let's say a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, please with these children as they start out 2019, that they know they may like their earthly things very much, but they really love the one and only true God, that we should have no other gods other than yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lost in our service in the last week in Suffolk, England, Airman First Class Michael Mahoney, 22. Thank you, Jay. If you're able, I encourage you once again to stand with us and join, join us in singing number 66, To God Be the Glory.
Amen. You may be seated. I invite you to pray with me. Father, you are deserving of all the glory. As we reflect on this past year, on this last Sunday of 2018, we give you the glory and acknowledge the ways that you've worked in our lives as individuals and through this church and this community. Lord, without you, we would have no hope. And so we thank you that through the presence of your spirit in our lives, through the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, his birth, his death, his resurrection, uh, you have you have done everything, Lord, that uh, things that we couldn't do for ourselves. You've granted us eternal life through through Jesus Christ and by the indwelling of your Holy Spirit in our lives. You've redeemed us and set us apart for you uh, to be ambassadors for you in this in this community, in this world. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to continue to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth, uh, that we can proclaim your good works and, and point people towards you. Lord, we do ask that you would help us to, to live out our calling, Lord, not only as we've done so far this year, but looking forward to next year as well. Help us to, to begin 2019, Lord, with you at the center of everything we do. And I pray, Lord, that as a church, uh, we would be able to continue to pursue your calling and your mission in this world. As individuals, we would continue to, to follow you as our Lord and Savior and, and grow and mature as disciples of Christ. And that we would, um, Lord, take to heart those things that you've been, you've been teaching us this past year. Lord, we, we acknowledge, Lord, not only the great things that you have done, but those things also encourage us to look forward into the future, that you will continue to be faithful to your people, to your creation, to this world. And so we look forward to the great things you will continue to do as well. And so we ask, Lord, for your blessing on those whose names are listed in the bulletin and the situations those represent. We ask for your care, your provision, your healing, uh, your presence to be with those people. Lord, we also acknowledge, uh, Lord, there's also many burdens, many things that aren't represented there that we carry into the sanctuary with us this morning. So we lay those at your feet as well and ask that you would work in and through them for your glory and for our good. We pray all these things in the name of Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward at this time. Our offering this morning goes to support our heating system project that we will be looking forward to in the years to come. And I am, we will be having an offertory hymn play for us as well.
invite you to remain standing for the reading of God's word this morning. A reading comes from Exodus chapter 19, verse 16, through chapter 20, verse 3. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people, so they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, because you yourself warned us. Put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, Go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Thank you, Connie. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that you have spoken to us through your word, that by, by your word and, and through the word, Jesus Christ, we have a revelation of who you are and, and all that you've done for us. As we take a look at your word this morning and, and specifically the Ten Commandments over the next ten weeks, I pray that you'd give, continue to give us insight, help us to, to see what you have in store for us through these words. And, and may you give me words to speak and open up all of our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As I mentioned, we're going to begin uh, a new series this morning and, and going for the next 10 weeks. And we're going to be taking a look at the Ten Commandments, a passage that is, for most of us, very familiar, right? A very, very common passage. Uh, and yet I want to I want to take a, a little bit more of a deeper look into uh, into these words because, like so many other passages or so many other things that are familiar to us, uh, maybe sometimes they lose their force or they lose their their power because the words are so familiar. Uh, it's actually interesting. I've been reading up a little bit on on this topic, of course, as I've been preparing for the series. And in a book I read, I was reading uh, described how people today are actually very unfamiliar with the Ten Commandments. Uh, uh, they said the divide is right around 40 or so. People over 40, if they grew up in the church, uh, can probably cite the Ten Commandments off the top of their head without a problem because it was so ingrained in, in that generation or those generations as they were growing up. They were forced to, to memorize it and do all those things. But sometime, uh, for some reason, those people under 40 have a harder time naming the Ten Commandments off the top of their head. In fact, surveys show that, that Americans in general and even Christians can, can name the ingredients of a Big Mac sandwich easier than they can the Ten Commandments, among other things. And so I think it's important for us as Christians to slow down and to really 
examine the Ten Commandments. And there's a lot of reasons why we do that. But one of the reasons is the Ten Commandments has been the core of Christian teaching and discipleship since before Christ even arrived, before Christ came, right? And, and especially in the early church and, and throughout church history, it was the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, and the Apostles' Creed that formed kind of the, the core of Christian discipleship for, for millennia. And, and unfortunately, we have sometimes gotten away from that. And so today we're going to begin a series taking a, a closer look at those Ten Commandments and, and really examining what they have in store for us. And and I want to begin today by, by highlighting a few reasons or a few things that we can look, we can, we want to look at about the Ten Commandments in general, and then we're going to be looking at that first commandment uh, in particular today. First of all, one of the things that we often um, think about the Ten Commandments and the Old Testament in general is we often think about them as the law, right? We hear phrases in the New Testament like the law and the prophets and, and speaking of Scripture as a whole. The, the common Hebrew word that, that we get law from is Torah. And if you were to uh, look at a, um, it's, it's still the word that, that people use in the Hebrew Bible to refer uh, to those first five books of Moses, the Torah, the law. Uh, but actually a better translation of that word, a more uh, appropriate translation, wouldn't be so much law, but instruction. And I think that gives it definitely a, a different kind of meaning to the word. When I think of instruction, I don't think of, uh, I, excuse me, I do think of like a parent instructing their child or a teacher instructing their student. It's a much more uh, relational kind of conversation that takes place there. Um, you know, I think of as, as I try to raise my children, I do so with love and care and wanting the best for them. Um, and that's the same kind of idea that God has in mind for us through the Ten Commandments. Many years later, as the people were standing on the edge of the promised land and Moses was giving his final instructions to the people uh, before that time, and before he went to be with the Lord, he told them this in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 through 21. Moses, speaking of the law and having already recited the Ten Commandments again for the people, said, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates, so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. Notice there's a very different kind of, of, of commitment here to these instructions than, than what we normally think of as laws, right? Uh, we don't enforce, we don't ask our children to memorize the penal code of, of the state of Ohio, right, and bind them on, on our foreheads and, 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 and engrave them in our hearts, right? That's not something we do. Uh, but, but instructions, things that, things that have more to do with who we are and how we live, those are the things that matter. And those are the things that we want to remember and bring to mind when needed. <clears throat> in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 8, verses 20 through 29, we're reminded of God's great care and love for us. <clears throat> we're reminded of the fact that God wants what's best for us, even if we don't maybe understand it or get it for ourselves. In Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 
For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. See, God desires the best for us. God wants the best for us. The problem is we don't always know or appreciate what that best is, do we? We think we know what's best. We think we know what will make us happy or we think we know what will satisfy us. And so we seek after those things and we pursue those things. But unfortunately, because of sin in our lives, because of the effects of the fall, those, those, those wants, those, those desires have been distorted. And so we no longer desire or want what's best for us. And so we need to trust God and rely on him to show us what is truly best and what is truly good. Because it says here, the promise in Romans is that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And so part of that is, is trusting that the Ten Commandments truly are good and truly are the best for us, even when we don't see it that way ourselves. Another thing to notice here about the Ten Commandments is the, is the relational context that they're given in. Again, this isn't just a list of laws that just are, are handed out out of context, right? These are, these are laws that are given to a people by their God in a very uh, specific relational context. Notice it says that it is the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And that's important to note that it's, it's God himself that is giving these laws. The Lord uh, in our in our English Bibles, throughout the Old Testament, we'll see this, this word Lord printed in, in small caps, right? You see that all the time, the Lord your God, the Lord Almighty. Uh, whenever that word is printed in small caps in your English Bibles, it's actually the, the name of God that's being used there, the name that God gave Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, uh, Yahweh, as we would perhaps pronounce it today. Uh, and so, so that's the same name that's being used here. He's the personal God. That God who met Moses in the burning bush is now that same God who is giving these laws and commands. Again, this is not some impersonal force. This isn't the, 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 the laws of the universe that are being given here. These are the, the instructions of a personal, caring, loving God uh, that he is giving to their people. And, and not, notice here, it's not just any God, but it's your God, the Lord, your God. The personal God they knew and experienced specifically during the Exodus, right? This is the God who just led them out of slavery, the God who had freed them from bondage and slavery in the land of Egypt. This was that very same God who was meeting them now on Mount Sinai in order to show them what it means to to be in relationship with him and with others. And so as our creator and our redeemer, he does have a claim over our lives. You know, some may ask, what? Who, who's God, right, to, to say that this is how we should live or, or why should we follow these instructions that are in a book that was written thousands of years ago? Well, if God truly is our creator, if God truly has redeemed us and saved us from slavery, then we owe it to him to, to live as he has created us to live. You may say, well, I've, I wasn't in Egypt, right? I wasn't enslaved at that point. Uh, that is true, right? None of us were alive during the Exodus, but we all have been enslaved to sin. We've been in spiritual bondage, and through Christ, he has freed us from that. And so just as God's people experienced uh, a physical Exodus out of Egypt, we too have experienced an Exodus ourselves. We've been led out of slavery to sin and into a relationship with God. And, and so we owe him that same debt that the people of Israel owed him in, in Exodus. Chapter 20. You know, the Ten Commandments, they do reveal something about our human nature, don't they? 
the fact that we don't like God, we don't like, well, we don't really like anybody, but the same applies for God. We don't really like people telling us what we can or cannot do, do we? We want to be in charge of ourselves. We want to be our own boss. And so, so there's this human nature working against us uh, that the Ten Commandments reveals uh, to us as we, as we strive to live them out. Uh, and finally, before we move on to this first commandment, we see that the Ten Commandments do provide necessary structure for living life, not just needless restrictions. You know, think of the, the, the insanity and chaos that would ensue if we just abolished all traffic laws in this country. Think about what that would be like to have no speed limits, no lines on the road, no traffic lights, no stop signs, and we just gave everybody a car and said, have at it. Right? Would any of you want to be out on the road during that time? No, I wouldn't be. Try, try driving through Columbus, right, uh, with no sort of traffic laws or no, no uh, instructions on how to travel from point A to point B safely. Right? Nobody would want to be a part of that. And if you were, you'd have a very low likelihood of actually getting from, to your destination in one piece. God's Word, specifically the Ten Commandments, are like that structure, it's needed. It helps us to live life as God created us to live. Um, it's not just needless restrictions given to us by a cosmic killjoy. See, God's word in the Old Testament, uh, the, the Jewish rabbis would say there were 613 commandments, 613 laws that were given to God's people uh, in the scriptures. And in a sense, uh, all 613 of those laws are simply an expansion or an application of these Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are at the core of all of those other laws. Uh, and, and we could even take that a step further in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus kind of sums up the Ten Commandments and the law as a whole with two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In a sense, those two laws, those two commandments or instructions, sum up the Ten Commandments for us. And we see that in, in how the Ten Commandments are laid out. We have the first four that deal with our relationship with God, how we honor Him, how we're supposed to relate to Him. And then the final six deal with how we relate to others. In other words, it's, it's fleshing out how we love God and how we love others. And just to, again, to, to kind of help us understand why these are so important and why they're needed, just take a moment and imagine what it would be like to live in a world where people lived out the Ten Commandments perfectly all the time. How wonderful of a place that would be, right? We'd have no need for a police force. We'd have no need for governments. We'd have no need for jails. We'd have no need for all of those other things that are, are, are in there. Because if people simply learn to live out the Ten Commandments perfectly, we wouldn't have a need for those other things. Unfortunately, we're not able to do that, are we? We're not able to live them out perfectly. And so those other structures and institutions are important. But just imagine what it would be like to live in that kind of world where people treated each other as we were intended to in the first place. See, the Ten Commandments really deal with how to relate to God and how to relate to others in the right way. See, there's two kinds of righteousness that are described in Scripture, and, and, and we sometimes confuse them. Uh, righteousness can be seen in terms of our, our standing before God, and in other words, whether we're innocent or guilty. Whether we are righteous or not, it's, it's, it's kind of an either or situation. 
And we know from Scripture that none of us are righteous in and of ourselves, right? Romans 3.23 teaches us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so in that sense, none of us are righteous, and the Ten Commandments reveal that to us. None of us have ever lived up to them perfectly. You may say, well, I've never murdered anybody, I've never committed adultery, I've never done some of those things. But Jesus in the New Testament takes those commandments and fleshes them out to an even deeper level, doesn't he? He says, thou shalt not murder is about a lot more than just the physical act of violence towards someone else. It's also about our attitudes towards that other person. That if you hate someone in your heart, you've already committed murder against them. And so if we take it to that extent, none of us are perfect. None of us, excuse me, none of us are righteous and have that standing before God. Uh, And the Ten Commandments then also reveal God's character and holiness and our inability to live up to those standards. But there's another kind of righteousness that the scriptures talk about, which is uh, also we see here in the Ten Commandments. And that is the righteousness of living rightly or living correctly in relationship towards God and towards others. And so a person, while they may not be righteous in that ultimate sense before God, can still be a righteous person because they relate well and relate correctly towards God and towards others. And the Ten Commandments help us to do that and show us how to do it. And we can, albeit imperfectly, try to live out those commandments as best we can in order to treat others and treat God the way that we should. And so that's what all these commandments are about, and that's what we're going to be looking at over these next 10 weeks is how to relate to God well, how to relate to other people well. Um, because when we do that, we will, uh, we will be living out that commandment that Jesus gave us to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. And so, the, so with the Ten Commandments, we've got to start somewhere. And we've got to start with the first one because it is really foundational to all the rest. To, to have no other gods before the Lord really lays the groundwork for the rest of the commandments as well. You see, it's not enough to just be sincere or spiritual. There's a lot of people in our world today that, that want to be, you know, spiritual but not religious. They want to, they have a, the desire to, to, um, seek things out beyond themselves, right? There's this, this, uh, an underlying notion that there is something greater out there. Um, but, but it's not enough to just, want that or just desire that it's also we need to make sure that we are worshiping the one true god of israel right the god who created us who made us and that's what this first commandment points us to Um, we can we were made to worship if you think about it the way god created us it's just built into our dna that, that we are going to be people who worship and and in the garden in the in the creation before sin came into the world that was expressed and realized through that relationship with God, right? We were created to be in relationship with him, to know him, to worship him. Uh, but because of sin and our, and the broken and the, and the effects of that, those, those desires, as I mentioned before, are distorted and they're, they are, uh, aimed in the wrong direction. And so we find other things to worship, don't we? We find other things to, to take our attention and our time and our resources instead of God as we were created to do. And so, so the first commandment reminds us that there is one true God and we were all created and called to worship him. And it's also a reminder that these other commandments are also, and, and all of God's scripture is morally binding on us because he has a claim over us, because God is real. He has made us and, 
and, and we are his people, and so therefore we ought to follow his commands. Right, these, t- these Ten Commandments aren't based on popular opinion. It wasn't an internet poll that came up with them. Um, they, they were not just things that change over time. Um, this is how God created us. These things are wired into us. And, and um, they were given to us by something or someone greater than ourselves. And that first commandment is a reminder of it. And so why, what should we do then in response to this, this command? We need to embrace him as Lord. We need to, to make God Lord of our lives. We need to decide to follow him at the exclusion of all others. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, we find uh, one of the most famous passages in the Old Testament, what's known as the Shema, the Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is where Jesus got that great commandment from when he quoted it in Matthew chapter 22. You see, it's possible to have a, to love a lot of things, right? But, but the call that God has on our lives is an exclusive kind of relationship. Josephine cracks me up sometimes. I'll ask her uh, on any given day what her favorite color is, and she will list off about ten of them. Right? Her favorite color is pink and purple and blue and red and yellow, and she'll just keep on going. Sometimes she has a dozen best friends. Uh, sometimes she has five or six different favorite foods, right? Like she has all these favorite things, right? Um, and that works when you're talking about colors or food or those sorts of things. Uh, but, but when we're talking about the kind of relationship that God desires from us, it's, it's, it's something that's deeper and more profound than just what our favorite color is. I think it's more appropriate to, uh, to compare our relationship with God to a marriage relationship. Scripture does that over and over again. And in a marriage relationship, that is exclusive. When I, when I said my vows to Allie, I was, I was saying yes to her and I was saying no to everyone else, right? That's, that's the, at the very core of that marriage covenant and commitment. Um, it's an exclusive relationship. And God desires the same thing from us. It's, it's not one among many gods. He doesn't just want to be our favorite of the dozen gods that we have in our lives. He wants to be the only one. He wants to be the God that is uh, Lord of our lives. Now, that doesn't seem so strange maybe to us today. You know, monotheism, the, the worship of just one God, is, is pretty common in our world today. Judaism, Christianity, Islam are all major world religions that worship one God and claim one God. But, but in, in Israel's time, even in Jesus' time, the idea of, of, of only one God was kind of absurd and crazy. Because every country, every region, every city had their own gods, and they had multiple gods. They had gods for this and gods for that. And, and whatever help or whatever benefit you were seeking, you just sought out that particular god and, and did what you needed to do in order to earn their favor. But the idea that there was one god who created everything in all people at all times was just absurd and strange. And so over time, God's people <coughs> struggled with that idea. They struggled with this idea of an exclusive commitment and relationship with, with the Lord. And so over time, they, they, had, they wanted to have their cake and eat it too, right? They wanted to worship the God of Israel, but they also wanted to worship Baal. They wanted to worship the Lord, but they also wanted to worship Molech, these other gods of the Old Testament. And again, that may seem strange. Why would they, why would they split their, their attention and their time like that? Um, how absurd of them to 
to uh, worship more than one God. But we do the same thing too. We, we approach our faith like a spiritual buffet line, don't we, sometimes? We, we pick and choose what the, the things that we like and then we leave the stuff that we don't want. And we go through and we, we just, we just, we're okay with following this commandment, but not this other one. We're okay with trusting God in this area of our lives, but we're going to handle it over here. Right? We approach our faith and our lives in the same way. We just don't necessarily call them gods that we worship. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said that no one can serve two masters. Right? You're either going to love one and, or, and hate the other. Like there's, there's no way we can, we can have that sort of exclusive commitment um, to more than, one, more than one God. And so we must make that decision to follow God and him alone. And so we can't have any other gods before him either. Right? In 1 Corinthians, as, as Paul is talking about meat sacrificed to idols, he says, well, those, those, God, those other idols, they're not even really gods anyways. They're not real, so you don't have to really worry about it. See, we struggle with this idolatry. We struggle with, with, with divided attention. And, and that comes in, I'd say, two different forms. There's things that are, that are just outright bad for us that we struggle with, right? There's sin in our lives. There's, there's commitments that we've made that we know aren't what God desires. And we, we struggle with, with holding on to those things while at the same time trying to worship God. But there's also idols in our lives. There's things that distract us from God that are good things. They're God-given things that just take over our lives. Good things that God has given us that, that demand more and more of our attention and distract us from the Lord himself. See, that's the problem that, that, that Paul describes in Romans chapter 1. He says, they began to worship created things rather than the creator. Right? That was the core of idolatry. That's the core of our struggle today is, is we often worship the gift rather than the giver. We, we seek after God's blessings more so than we seek after God himself. And that is idolatry as well. You see, these idols are sneaky. You know, we don't worship things with, you know, we don't, we don't go to other churches. We don't go to other temples. We don't bow down to idols in the corner of our room at home, Right? Uh, there's not these bright flashing lines saying, this is idolatry, this is idolatry. But, but they sneak up on us and we fall for them just the same. You see, the enemy's goal is not so much for us to focus on him. As long as our focus is not on Christ, then he's winning. Right? There's a, and, and C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, a fictional account of, of these, these demons working to, to distract and undermine God's plan in the life of a believer. And it's this fictional correspondence going back and forth. And, and one, at one point, um, they, they say something along those same lines. It doesn't really matter whether or not they believe we, the demons, exist. As long as their attention is not on God, then they're winning. Right? That, that, I, I believe that is true for us today. We get so distracted. Our focus is on anything and everything but the Lord. And the enemy rejoices in that because, because our focus is not on Christ as it should be. Why do, you know, the, the question may be, why do we continue to struggle with idols today? I believe there's many reasons. Uh, one is that they're easy. Right? Just here in the Ten Commandments, we're seeing that the God of the universe, the Creator, has has a, a claim on us, right? Because he created us, because he rescued us, then we ought to, in response to that, live a certain way. Well, idols don't make that sort of claim. We can take them or leave them. 
We can keep them in our little box and just take them out when, when we need them. There's no claim on their lives in the way that God has a claim. They're also very convenient, right? They're there when we need them and we can ignore them when we don't. Uh, they serve us and serve our purposes, and so it's convenient to, to reach out to them in our times of need. And in a sense, idols are, are guaranteed, right? In, in, in a lot of ways, you know, we just, we, we do the right, not the right thing. <laughs> we, we, we put in the, the attention, we put in the time, we put in the resources that, that those idols require, and they give us instant feedback, right? Whether it's material things, whether it's money, whether it's popularity or power in some way, whatever, whatever your, whatever your thing is, right? You just do the right thing and you get instant feedback there. And so for those reasons, and I'm sure many others, idols are, are, are and continue to be a temptation for God's people. But this first commandment says that we need to worship God and him alone, have no other gods before him. And, and we see that then, you know, the, the question then, how, do, how can we know God? How can we have that relationship with him? How can we make that sort of commitment when he seems so distant and so far away all the time? Well, we see that in the New Testament, what we just celebrated at Christmas is that God has made himself known to us in Christ. Jesus himself says in John chapter 14 that if we, if we know him, then we know the Father as well. In John 14, he had just promised the disciples that he would, that he would come back and, and bring them to be with him uh, where he is. And in John chapter 14, verse 7, he says, If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me, has seen the Father. And then in Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verse 3, the author of Hebrews says that the Son, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus is the exact representation of God. So we can know him. We can have a relationship with him because God has made himself known to us through Christ. And so in response to that, we need to be rooted in him. We need to embrace him as Lord and Savior and become his disciples. There's a reason that is, there's a reason this is the first commandment and there's a reason that is the first part of our, our mission statement as a church because that's where it all begins. To know him as Lord and Savior, to, to embrace him and to choose to, to follow him in response to all that he's done for us. In his Institutes of the Christian Religion, John Calvin uh, said, in response to this first commandment, we owe God four things. Adoration, trust, invocation, and thankfulness. Adoration, right? We, we owe him our worship, our praise. Trust. In those moments of, uh, of our lives when we need to look beyond ourselves, who do we turn to? Do we turn to the Lord or do we turn to something else? He calls us to trust the Lord and Him alone. Invocation, the idea of He's the one that we should call out to. Right? Who do we call out to when, when times get rough, when, when we struggle? 
Are we calling out? Do we, do we reach for our crutch? Do we reach for that idol that has got us through those times before? Or are we going to call out to the Lord and, and rely on Him to see us through? And finally, thankfulness. Who do we thank when things are going well? Who do we turn to when life is rainbows and sunshine, right? Who do we turn to when those things are going well? Do we return that praise and that honor to Him? Or do we just look to ourselves and think how, how wonderful that I got myself in this position? You know, our, our commitment to the Lord is, is more than just Sunday mornings. It's, it's that commitment to Him 24-7, 365. And that's what this commandment calls us to do, to call out to the Lord and to trust Him in everything. Would you do that with us today? Let's pray. Father, I thank You for this time. Thank You that we can know You, Lord that you have made yourself available to us through Christ and that, that your call to, to worship you and you alone is for our good and for your glory. Help us to know that and appreciate that this day. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. In closing, let's stand and sing number 234, Crown Him with Many Crowns.
now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You may go in peace.